0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about how God will make all things new. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be prayed for. Our church has a prayer team that consistently prays for people. Sometimes those people are in our church, sometimes they're not. But anyone who asks for prayer gets prayed for. I don't know who will hear this sermon, but I do know that it will be people all over the country and to some degree around the world. If I know one thing about people, it is that they have fears, failures, and struggles. In the midst of all that, I believe that God responds to our prayers. We may not get everything we want, but God does work all things for the good of those who love Him, specifically in response to prayer. So here's what I'm inviting you to do. Go to Creekside.me and click on Get Prayer. It'll take you to a form. Submit the form, and we will pray for you. Again, it's Creekside.me I hope you'll take me up on this offer. Again, thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you learn and live more fully for the glory of God. In fact, I'm praying that it will. Today, as was already said, we finished the book of Revelation. We've been studying it since October 1st, and we look at this morning the epilogue uh, which is kind of post the body of the text. And in this epilogue, we see some, some really important stuff that I think uh, can be summarized by my sermon title today. Some of you are like, I didn't know we had sermon titles. It's not something we talk about very often. Um, but this one I think is helpful. And this is it. Come to Jesus, come Lord Jesus. In our passage of scripture today we have two things. We have a call for people to come to Jesus and then we have this request of Jesus to come back. We have a request for his return. And both of these things are so important but this this final kind of this final thing that we read this final section of Revelation it has depth and importance and and, and I just want to say before we begin it that one of the things that's been interesting to me is, as I've preached through this book is that I've heard several times, I've never heard a sermon on the book of Revelation. That seems to be a common thing. And I know that many people who have heard sermons on Revelation, they've been primarily sermons about the interest part and not the impact part. And so I wanna remind you one more time as we finish this that I hope that forevermore from this day forward, you'll always look at the book of Revelation as a book that should have an impact on your life and not just an interesting thing to talk about and debate and discuss. So that's my hope as we finish here today. Revelation twenty-two twelve 12 says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now that last phrase there, what they have done, makes it sound like our work will determine our eternity. But that's not true at all. If you've been with us as we've moved through the book of Revelation, then then you'll know that in this book called Revelation, it's really clear that what determines your eternity is whether or not you have chosen to follow the lamb or not. That's the favorite title of, of this book for Jesus, the lamb, because it reminds readers that Jesus suffered and died for our sins in order that we might be saved for eternity, that we might experience the things that the end of the book of Revelation are is talking about this glorious eternal experience. And so it can't mean that. It can't mean that our eternities will be decided by what we do. Uh, in fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very famous verses, says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one boast. And so why this weird phrase? Why this this phrase that says, according to what they have done? Uh, One of the things in Revelation that's pretty clear is that when you follow the Lamb, it will change how you live your life. Uh, There is no place in the book of Revelation or in Scripture as a whole For somebody who claims to follow Jesus, but doesn't ever do anything to follow Jesus. This this phrase that I had uh, as a kid, we use this this term closet Christian. Does anybody remember that? That was kind of a a phrase that was out there, a closet Christian. And by that, what I think we really meant is a a non-Christian. Somebody who professed with their mouth that they believed in the things of Jesus, but who had never truly followed, chosen to follow Jesus. And in Revelation, that is not a category of person. You either follow the lamb, you embrace the gifts of the lamb, or you don't. And that is what will determine your eternity, but it will also determine how you live your life. Robert Mount, who wrote a great commentary on the book of Revelation, says, it is the quality of a person's life that provides the ultimate indication of what that person really believes So the point here is not that you need to work your way into this heavenly experience. The point is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've embraced the salvation of the lamb, then your life will look different than those who have not. Now, there may be some indication here uh, that there is some level of reward in heaven. In fact, there are multiple times in the New Testament that maybe seem to suggest that that there are rewards for us in heaven that are based on our works. I don't know. I, I don't think it's that important. What does perfection, what does a reward in perfect eternity even mean or look like? That's hard to wrap my mind around. And so I don't think it's that important. What I do think is important to say is that the way in which you live your life will really indicate whether or not you are a true follower of Jesus. And then it goes on I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Titles in the book of Revelation are so important, and they're interspersed throughout the book. We've seen a lot of different titles for Jesus, for God, and one of the things that's interesting about this title here is that it appears to be Jesus speaking And yet this book is earlier given to God in Revelation 1.8 and Revelation 21.6. And here it's given to Jesus. I think this is important. One of the things that separates us as Christians from all other people on earth is how we view Jesus. Most people that live, most people that have lived after Jesus have liked Jesus, have respected Jesus, have thought highly of Jesus. Uh, Many people believe that Jesus taught incredible things that should be followed and obeyed. I taught on the Sermon on the Mount several years ago, and you know that uh, that some of those sermons I would quote Gandhi on Jesus because even though he was not a Christian in any way, shape, or form, he loved the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and thought they were great and practical and all all those things but here we see one of the things that separates christians from all the other people who like and respect jesus and the idea of jesus and that is this that as christians we believe jesus is god that jesus is god in human form And for Jesus to declare here, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, a title that has already been given to God in this book. It is another declaration of the deity of Jesus. One of the things that separates us as Christians from everybody else is that we believe that Jesus is God. I mean, Muslims, they like Jesus. They think highly of Jesus. They think he was a great prophet. But the idea that he is God is blasphemous to them but that is something that we as Christians embrace. And even within this title, it points to the eternality of Jesus. That's part of him being divine is that he's eternal, that he has always existed and that he always will exist. You and I have a beginning. Jesus has no beginning and Jesus has no end. But it also, this title speaks to the basis of, in which we have life, in which we live our life. Jim McGuigan says, with his will, life begins and ends. The whole creation was made unto him as well as by him. And in that way, it creates sort of a bookmark for us. Last year, I taught through the book of John. And here in Revelation, we have the author, John, John. Um, recording for us what he's been told to record by the angel by God by the power of the Holy Spirit this vision that he has and if you remember if you were around uh, last year we began in the beginning of the book of John and, and John said these words in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life And that life was the light of all mankind. He begins by saying this Jesus character that I'm about to describe, he is God. He's God and he's equal with God. And not only that, he begins by saying anything that has been created was created by him. And there is nothing. There is nothing that has been created that wasn't created by him. Everything that is, is because of him, including your life. And now he ends the book of Revelation with this title. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. Jesus is once again saying, look, I am eternal. I am God. And that without me, there is no life. It's all found in me. Your life was given by Jesus. It is for Jesus and it can be perfect in eternity because of Jesus. And that's all laid forth right here in the book of Revelation. But that's not it. Revelation twenty two fourteen 14 and 15 says, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. By the way, you want an interesting thing to read? Um, there are a series of beatitudes or blessed statements in the book of Revelation. I haven't even talked about that. We've been studying the book for months on end now, and, and I haven't even talked about this little nuanced thing, but there's a series of beatitudes or blessed statements in the book of Revelation. You should go back. It'll be really fun for you to go read them and find them and use BibleGateway.com and look for the word blessed in, in the book of Revelation and, and see you know how we have descriptors of those who will be blessed. The the Beatitudes that we know most famously begin the aforementioned Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are they. And then he he says some things, but there's also a series of those types of statements in the book of Revelation. You would do well to go read them. But this one is the last. And here it talks about those who have washed their robes. Now, this is not a new image in the book of Revelation. Revelation. You can go back to Revelation 3, 4, and 5 to the church in Sardis. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. And then in Revelation three fourteen we see this incredible multitude of people uh, who, are, uh, who are in white and they're waving palm branches. And it says, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And so what we have here is a declaration about Christians, Blessed are Christians. Blessed are the Christians. Blessed are those who are dressed in white. And, and then what is the point there? What's the purpose? It's to remind us again of what Jesus has done for us or can do for you if you've never embraced him. And that is to make you pure. Jesus, as I've already said, is described as the lamb. I love that imagery, by the way, that that our clothes are made white by the blood of the lamb. I, I preached on that, obviously, before, and I think it's incredible because we think of blood as making things messy and staining things and all of that. But there it says that we've been washed by the blood of the lamb. And now as we look at this heavenly scene and all of the blessings are laid before us that I, again, think are symbolic for how great our eternal experience will be, As it's all laid forward, there's this beatitude that says, blessed are you who have been made clean by Jesus. Now, just just think about what it means to be dressed in white. If the robes are symbolic for your soul, consider how you and your life have stained and soiled the, the clothes, your soul. You've done wrong things, bad things, evil things, things that you try to hide. I mean, we run around with our little tide pins in life, right? Trying to cover up all of the stains and all of the places that we soil ourselves. We're just running around trying to cover it all up. But what this tells us is that through Jesus, we can be made completely clean. We can be washed. We can be forgiven. Do you remember uh, the wordless book? We actually made wordless books um, and bracelets in our children's ministry. Do you remember these? Uh, If you grew up and if you were an 80s Christian kid, uh, and it was just these colors and and it started with black. And it said, this is my sin right here. Like I'm black. And then there was red next page, just red. And then your parent, your grandparent would tell you, this represents the blood of Jesus who came to die for your sins. And then the next page, white. And we, and then they, they'd say, or we'd say, this represents how Jesus can wash you white as snow. And I love that an eternity will be sparkly white. And we can be that because Jesus has washed us now. Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. He's allowed for us to be forgiven. All we have to do is believe that he came to die for our sins and accept his gift of salvation following the lamb. And we get to be clothed in white and have all of this to look forward to. But as always in the book of Revelation, There's two sides. There's two choices. The first is that you are washed clean by the blood of Jesus and you enter into this eternal perfection that's gonna be magnificent and glorious and awesome and cool and fun and great and perfect. But on the other side, there's these dogs who are outside of the city. Dogs are not good in the Bible. Um, It's funny, I think about how... uh, before I had kids we had this incredible dog his name was Roy and it seemed like he came into sermons all the time we loved this dog he was like our child before we had children he was basically the perfect dog he he did everything right he was easy we could take him around kids and not feel like he was going to eat them and you know like i mean he was like the perfect dog and so he made his way into my sermon all the time and and like i would you know come to a passage like this and i would have to say like hey, my dog is good, but this is a negative. Now I have a different dog. And I'm like, yeah, the dogs are outside the city gate where they belong. Uh, And so Beckett, uh, who now, you know, a couple of thousand dollars spread out over months of uh, payment plan. uh, Beckett's turned into an okay dog, but his natural tendencies fit more in line with how the Bible and first century people thought about dogs. They were not your little house pet that you love. This wasn't Fido. Uh, This is more like a dirty coyote that's trying to come in and steal your chickens and give you diseases. That's, That's how they thought of dogs. They were not good in Eastern culture. They were, you know, ran in packs. They had scurvy. They were, you know, mangy and they were unpleasant and just, they were not seen as good animals. It wasn't your house pet. And so here, it's a pretty mean term. It's pretty like negative. It's like you have the people washed in white or you have the dogs. And then they're described in, you know, with these major sins, magic arts and sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters and those who practice falsehood, which by the way is indicative of Satan in the book of Revelation. That's his natural language. He's a liar in the New Testament as a whole. Like he's a liar. And so it's like aligning these people with Satan. And, And it's just harsh. And a couple of things I would say about that. One is that the book of Revelation wants you to know very clearly in a straightforward way. You're on one of two sides. You're an enemy of God or you're a child of God. You have been washed by the blood of Jesus or you are a dog. These are your choices. On the other side of that. You have to remember the genre of the book. It's very black and white. It's not nuanced. You know, it is an apocalyptic book. And I haven't talked about this in a while, but we laid the groundwork early in the series. There's some things about apocalyptic literature that are important to remember, full of signs and symbols. You know, there are a lot of visions. uh, Numbers can be very symbolic. And one of the things that I said early on is that it's very black and white, in or out, Good or bad, light and dark, it's part of apocalyptic literature. And so while the book wants you to know you're in or you're out, that is true. It's said in the harshest language, in part because of the nature of this book. Now, there's another thing as you read that harshness that's important. You have to remember that the churches that this is going to are either being terribly persecuted or they are going to be terribly persecuted within no time at all. And so for this little band of Christians, you know, before Christianity had really taken off, before it had become the national religion, this is just a, you know, some people fighting for their faith and those around them are mocking them and beating them and you know, eventually throwing them to the lions. And so the the, the people outside of Christianity in the first century, there was no Christian influence on them. This was, they, they were enemies of the church. They were coming at the church. They were attacking the church. And I think this language is indicative of that. You were either part of the faith or you were part of tearing down or trying to tear down the faith that is Christianity. But our passage doesn't end there. Revelation twenty two sixteen 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. I, don't, I love this right here. And, and it just, it struck me more than the rest of the passage this week when I was preparing this sermon This is, by the way, first of all, another encouragement to the churches and to us that this book is divinely given. I've said this a couple of times but I want to say it again. Uh it's easy to just stop like when you're reading the Bible at the book of Revelation and treat it as this difficult thing that has no, you know, real importance for your life. But no have you have you been around just for a couple of weeks three weeks especially then it just keeps coming up. That hey, this is divinely given. This is divinely given. This is divinely given. And you should just look at Revelation and be like oh, this was given to me by God. And so it must really matter. It must be really important. And we have just another little, you know, uh, another way of that being said here. We must believe its truths and we must live out its principles. That's important. But that's not the thing that struck me. The thing that struck me is this. Jesus is called the root and the offspring of David. David. I think it could be really easy to disconnect parts of scripture. Uh, if you're like most Christians, um you 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 try to read the Bible but you struggle to do that and so, you know, you get to New Year's Day and you say, I'm going to read the Bible more. And you pick a book in the Bible and you kind of start reading it. Most Christians, probably most people in this room have never read the Bible in its entirety. Uh, you need to. You need to read the Bible in its entirety. And and I would even say, um, I've only done this one time, but try to read the Bible really fast sometime. Like it's really important to spend time, I think, reflecting, pondering, Um meditating on individual verses, that can be really good. Like just taking even phrases and verses and thinking about what God's saying to you. But it's also really good to try to read the Bible fast. I tried to read the Bible in three months one time, didn't quite get that in, but that was the goal to try to get through it in three months. I spent a lot of time at a McDonald's where there was a fireplace. It was like the nicest McDonald's, trying to read through it quickly. And the reason that I think that could be so important is because you don't forget what you saw at the beginning and you can start to see the things connecting as you move your way through it. And here is one of the big connecting points. Jesus at the very end of the Bible is called the root and the offspring of David. And it reminds us that a thousand years before Jesus came to earth, 3000 years before we sit here today, uh, there was a promise given to a man named David. Here it is, 2 Samuel seven sixteen Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In Isaiah 11, 1, it, it kind of continues this promise, this, this prophet on behalf of God. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear Fruit. numbers 2417 also continues the, uh, or number tw- numbers 2417 sorry it, it, it talks about uh, a star and, and kind of the same promise and, and Jewish one of the Jewish symbols for the expected Davidic King that would rule and reign and fulfill these promises was a star and here we have the bright morning star and so what's the point here what's the point is that Jesus eternal reign is not some new idea at the end of the Bible. Jesus' eternal reign is a fulfillment of the prophecy that was given thousands of years ago to a man named David. And God, by his grace, his divine grace, his hesed, his uh, love, his everlasting love, his covenant of love, just looks at David and is like, you will always, you will always have one of your offspring rule and reign sit on the throne. David could have had no idea what that looked like. I mean, in David's mind, he's like, sweet, I'm going to have the most amazing, great, 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 great grandchildren. I'm just going to keep these things going. It didn't take very long for those kings to turn really bad, really fast. I mean, it just almost overnight, bad. In fact, in his lifetime, bad. Uh, And and man alive, you read about the kings, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. And then Israel loses its power. They go into exile. I mean, it seems like the nation's going to end altogether. That's been multiple times in its history. And yet through it all, God was working to fulfill his promise that David would always have somebody sit on his throne. One of his offspring would always sit on his throne. And we get to the end of this book and here's God saying, told you so in eternity, David will still have one of his offspring sitting on the throne. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So what I think is important, just a couple of reasons, a couple of applications. One, the Bible is so awesome, man. I mean, to weave together these things, it is absolutely incredible. this, This thing that we call the Bible, that God would bring this together for us to read and see these themes and you know, I've read the Bible uh, many times all the way through and, and you just keep seeing things and finding things and understanding things differently and better. And you see the nuances and, and, and it is incredible uh, just the way that God put together this book and then let us get it. It's incredible. And I think this is a reminder of that. But here's the other thing that I think is just such a, just an easy application. God will fulfill the promises that he's made to you if some guy named King David that lived thousands of years ago, if God's still like, I got this, I got this, I got this into eternity. Now it's a big promise. I'll give you that. It's a really big, important promise that, you know, is historical, right? But if God is still working to fulfill that promise, he's going to fulfill the promises that he's made to you. He's going to fulfill them. So here's one thing that I would ask you. What promises has God made to you? There's tons of them in the Bible. You should know them. Here's another reason you should read the Bible. Know some of the promises that God has made to you in his word. There's lots of them. Know them so that you can cling to them. You can uh, think about them. You can uh, trust in them as you move through your life and you have days where it feels like God maybe has forgotten about you. Well, God is going to fulfill his promises. And then we read this. The spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Come to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, become a Christian. Follow Jesus, come to him. Come to him and notice that there's two things here that are calling people to come to Jesus. The first is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. He is active in drawing people to God. He inspired the Bible, which compels people to follow Jesus. Just find somebody that's part of the Gideons and they'll tell you stories of how the Bible has been used to bring people to faith when there's no other voices around. The Holy Spirit is calling people come to Jesus. But the other thing is the bride. That's us. That's you and me who are Christians. We're the bride of Christ. The church should be calling people to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I think it's really interesting that word wishes. It can mean wishes or desires. And I think that that is so important that just to say to anybody here that's not a Christian, anybody who will watch online that's not a Christian, if you want. Eternal, perfect, total satisfaction. That's what the water represents. If you want perfect, eternal, total satisfaction because of God's provision, And presence, if you want that, if you want to fulfill or fill, excuse me, the void that you feel in your soul, that longing that you've never been able to quench with anything else, anything else that you've tried, any of your vices, any of your successes, that thing that's never been fulfilled, if you want to have it fulfilled, if you want to be filled, then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. That's what this passage says. I'll I'll tell you one more time. I'll say it one more time that that every step of the way in the book, in this book that we've studied together, there are always these moments where it tells people and compels people and calls people to give their lives to Jesus. It's like, hey, the world is going to be destroyed, but hey, here's a little hint that you can still come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And then in verses 18 and 19, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away, takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. Interestingly, this is one of the few verses from the book of Revelation that I knew as a kid, um, because basically Mormons, uh, this was like the thing that, that people would use to, to say to Mormons, you've added to the Bible and you shouldn't have done that. Uh, that might have some merit to it, but it's actually just saying don't add or take away from the book of Revelation. And, and so here's a warning, don't add or take away from the book of Revelation or you will be punished Uh, very similarly to the non-Christians and how there it's described in this book. That seems to be what this is saying. I would say once more, this book is considered a prophecy, words given by God. You see that just keeps coming up. It's like, it's almost, I I don't want to put words in God's mouth. That would be bad as we just saw, Uh, but it's almost as if God is like, this is just very different. And these people might forget that this comes from me, that this is a gift from me, that these are my words, but I don't want them to. And so once again, it's a prophecy. It's on par with the rest of our scripture. And so you should read it and you should take it seriously and you should not add to it or subtract from it. It is the inspired word of God. And finally, Revelation 22, 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Two things that are important here. Jesus, again, says that he's coming soon. We've talked about that in this book. That's something that that we should have at the forefront of our minds. I said last week, it bears repeating this week. Jesus, even while he was living on earth, was preparing people for his return and making a big deal about how important it is to be ready for that return. He tells people that they should be ready in, in, in their service of Him, that they should not be caught off guard, that they should be looking for Him, that they should be longing for him. Uh, we saw in our book, I believe, in Revelation, that, that we should be worshiping Him because we will worship Him in eternity. So our lives should demonstrate that. Now we should recognize that Jesus is coming soon and even on top of that with that, the declaration of our lives should become Lord. Jesus. We should want the return of Jesus. I remember, I remember being a young person and thinking, I want Jesus to come back, but I want to get married first. I remember that thought. And it's funny because I just, um, I just graded 14 hours grading assignments um, for my theology class that I teach at Corbin and And one of the questions is about the return of Jesus. And so many of the students feel, and it was there when I remember thinking that at Corbin, I'm a Corbin alumni, that same type of feeling. Like I want to be married before Jesus comes back. And there's a lot of things. It's not just marriage, right? You could put a lot of things into that and say, I want to do this before Jesus. And I want to do that before Jesus comes back. But I'll tell you, the older I get, And at certain points in life, you just understand what Paul said even more. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And it shouldn't take us going through difficult seasons to look at Jesus and say, Come, Lord Jesus. Now, I mean, there's people in my life that I want to become Christians before he comes. And like, that's my tension, I feel. But the recognition of our hearts should be that this life ain't it. This is not what I look forward to. I know I'm not excited about, you know, just the next trip or just the next thing, whether it's marriage or a new job or a new car or a new house, what I long for is to see Jesus face to face. I long to be with my Lord and Savior. And it's followed by an amen, let it be. And then this little benediction, Lord Jesus be with God's people. We need, or the grace of Lord Jesus be with God's people. We need the grace of Jesus. I want to read you a long quote by Robert Mounts and then we'll be done. I have two things to say after it. That's a lie. But let me read you this long quote. I thought it was so good as I finished this up. With this, the book of Revelation is complete. It has served to inform the readers of that day and all subsequent time that God is sovereign and that his eternal plan for the human race will in fact be carried through. During the interim, there will be hostility and opposition. But what he does, He has decreed must of necessity come to pass. People will be faced with the crucial decision of pledging their allegiance to the beast, and hence to Satan himself or to the lamb. Those who choose to wear the mark of the beast will ultimately share his fate. The great city of Babylon will fall. Those who choose to follow the lamb, who bears the marks of redemptive sacrifice, will ultimately be brought into eternal fellowship with God in the new Jerusalem. The end of all things has been laid bare before the readers of Revelation. All uncertainty regarding the eschaton has been removed. Believers are encouraged to remain faithful to their trust and wait expectantly for the return of Christ, who will forever put away all evil and usher in the eternal state of blessedness. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me finish with the words that close the book of Revelation. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this book. Uh, I thank you that we got to study it, Lord. And uh, like I said, the Bible is an incredible thing. It's amazing. And you've just given it to us. And we spend so much of our lives saying, I should read it more instead of treating it as the treasure it is, Lord. God, I pray that as we finish, as we just read the final words of this prophecy, this thing, thing that's been given by you, these words given by you, um, that it wouldn't be the end of, of the importance of revelation on our lives, God, but that we would be people of the book, God, and, and revelation would be a part of that, that we would remember and recall the things that, that we've seen, that I've preached as we move through our lives, Lord. Uh, in the hard times, I pray that revelation would serve as a, as a uh, source of comfort, God. Uh, When we are drifting into sin, I I pray that the words that we have studied would be a source of conviction, God. Uh, When we are are with our non-Christian loved ones, I pray uh, that it would be a source of inspiration to call them to come to you, God. And at all times, as we talked about last week, I pray that this book, God, these 22 chapters of the Bible would help us to worship you with the entirety of our lives. God, for people today that have sat before me that are watching online, I pray that you would use this final section, this this last portion of the epilogue, God, to impact their lives. Draw people to you by the power of your Holy Spirit and by my call through your word to them today to come. And for those of us who are Christians, Lord, compel us to live differently because of what we have seen today. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.